Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. You can probably tell from the sound of my voice that I am not the Bill Arnold part of that equation. I'm Peter Kapsner, sliding over from the panel chair as part of Guy Talk here into the host chair. And if you do listen regularly on Thursdays, you know it is Guy Talk Day, so we have a power panel in place that I'll introduce in just a moment. But of course, we love to hear from you during this time, and we'll take just about any kind of question that you want to ask. You've got a biblical question that you're puzzling over? These guys can handle it. You got a theological question, something about the nature of God. These guys can handle it. You got a relational question, something about spouses, something about kids, something about occupation, vocation. These guys can handle it. You got a social question that is troubling to you. These guys can handle it too. So now that I have overpromised, and undoubtedly the power panel here will under deliver, why don't I go ahead and introduce them today? We've got the regular Tom Parrish. Good, good afternoon here, Tom. Good to see you. Good to be with you, Peter. Yeah, and Jeff Redorn, a, a recent addition to the power panel. Who, who, Jeff? I think you actually think in Greek, but you speak in English, right? The way the way you handle the New Testament, I think it yep. just it's coming out in English somehow. But but you know the original language pretty well. Well, I, you know, I wish I knew Greek. I know some people that know Greek well. I just have some tools that you can look up some Greek words. That's all. So. Mm, I love it. And uh, part of the fun of being a part of this show is that it's, it's a rolling cast of characters over the time that we've done it. So we've got a new addition today, a gentleman by the name of Mark Center. Good afternoon here, Mark. Good afternoon. Peter. Why don't you give us just a little bit of your background? Well, I was uh, born at a very early age. And uh, my... <laughs> uh, what a coincidence. I... I, I you know, I wanted to be near my mother, so I stayed there for a long period of time. Actually, I was raised in the South and came up to go to school in Chicago at Moody Bible Institute and uh, ended up being in the pastoral ministry, three different churches in the in the Chicago area, and then uh, became a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. So uh, I don't know that I know Greek any better than you do, but... Uh, my 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 interest has always been youth ministry, yeah. and so it was. Um, I've written about the history of youth ministry. Mel Larson was one of my mentors in the early days. Listen to his tips for teens. <laughs> oh, I love it, Mark. That's great. Well, great to have you. And why don't we uh, just invite all the listeners to text in their questions again? You've got a biblical, theological, relational, social question. You can text in at eight seven seven. Nine three three two four eight four. One more time. That's eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. And Mark, with your background with youth ministry, maybe a great starting point would be just the complexity in which our young people are growing up today. I, I do think we can fairly say it's it's quite a different world with some of the the different social issues facing us today in terms of climate or justice or sexuality parenting technology, you name it. Uh, so this is for all you three. If you had to raise a boy in today's world, what would be one or two things you'd want to tell them? Hang out with people you trust. And uh, let's talk about it the whole time. It's really, youth ministry is really relational. And so my son was raised in a pastor's home and he survived. 
but uh, he made his own friends. He made his own way. Uh, he has uh, been in the media for many years, and we continue to have good conversations. I think the key thing is talk, yeah. not not just radio talk. I mean, have conversations. And um, so start young and keep it up. I have three adult sons. Um, two things that came to me had to be by the Lord because I wasn't thinking it all the way through. But I remember very early in their walk, I said, you know, your dad's a pastor, um, but that's not the issue. The issue is you're accountable ultimately to Jesus, not to me. I'm just a dad, but you've got to be right with him. And I said, the other thing is, uh, when I'm wrong, even though I'm your dad, I will admit it. And I I taught my boys how to repent openly, and uh, they're not doing that with our families. And I think those two things uh, have gone a long way because we talk all the time. They love me. We have great relationships. But they knew that I'm not the ultimate authority that's going to hold them accountable. It's Jesus, and they're, they want to be right with him. You know, the Bible says bad company corrupts good character. And the first comment that you made, Mark, was about surrounding yourselves. I think that's one of the keys. Just surround yourself with people that are believers, first and foremost, who love the truth, who love the Lord. And I think the the, the first and greatest command, uh, I think, should be our our, our deepest conviction to teach to our kids. You know, train up a child in the ways that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. So I think for if you have kids today, one, you need to be that spiritual leader in the house. Uh, kids watch behavior as much as they wa- listen oh, yeah. to your words. Yeah. So you, as parents, need to love the Lord. You need to let that show to your family. Be a spiritual leader. Pray. Bring your kids to church. Study the Word. And your kids will see that and be that role model for them. But then teach them. You know, there's 600-plus commands in the Old Testament. Uh, there's one greatest command in the New, and that is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Trust in Him with all you got. Abide in Him. Seek first His kingdom. Teach them that, and I think things will go well. Do you guys see differences between needing to raise boys in today's world versus raising girls? And, and how would you talk about some of those differences? Well, there is a whole different set of dynamics that goes on between boys and girls. We have three sons. Now we have five grandsons and two granddaughters. And I'll, I'm I'm a little bit hyper about my granddaughters, I'll be honest, because they're 12 and uh, 10. And you look at the culture, you look what's going on out there, and it's a little nerve-wracking. You know, boys seem to be able to find their way in the world a little better. I don't know. Maybe they don't. But it seems that way, raising the three I did. But, boy, I tell you, granddaughters, I do get concerned because uh, the culture really pushes, you know, looks. You know, are you good looking enough? Are you smart enough? And let's face it, when you're a 16-year-old boy dating a 16-year-old girl, um, you will tell her she's the most wonderful woman in the world. There's nobody like her, and you die for her until the next one comes along. Mm. You know, when I was growing up, we knew the difference between boys and girls. It mm. seems like our culture is at the point where we can't even distinguish male from female. Um, and, and that seems to be, to me, to be a pretty scary place for society. Um, the the over-sexualization of everything is rampant everywhere. And I just, I don't think it was like that when I was growing up. And yeah. you want you have a desire as a father especially to protect those girls maybe just a little bit more like you were talking about. And it's it's just one of those things. You, How do you protect them? And I think the best way is you just teach them the truth. You teach them God's ways. You know, the world's ways is so op- 
so often 180 degrees opposite of God's ways. And so I want to teach them God's way. So when they see the world, they see it for what it is. I think the best thing that I did with our daughter was to date her. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had times when we got together and went out. I remember the first time I went out with my daughter. She was probably junior high. Should have done it before that. But uh, I had a three-by-five card of questions that I wanted to I was afraid. I w- I, I'm a youth pastor. Okay. I was afraid I wouldn't have anything to talk to her about. I asked her one question, and that was the beginning of her, her monologue. Yeah. And she asked me questions, and we went from there. But those times of dating uh, Jory just were uh, wonderful times together. And uh, I, I would encourage, how, how do you date your son? Uh, we didn't hang. We hung out together, but I wouldn't call those days. But we had we had great conversations. Well, gentlemen, uh, go ahead, Jeff. Well, we were just talking before the show. You have to, no one ever says on their deathbed, "Oh, I wish I would have spent more time at work." You know that spending time with your children. That's the only way you're going to be able to feed into your children is if you have a strong relationship with them. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and you have to look at the priorities. You're absolutely right. I've been with a lot of people at the moment they die. Never heard that one. Never heard about the Vikings, what their score was, how they were doing, or who they drafted. What I hear over and over is, what's going to happen after I die, especially if they're a non-believer? Why didn't I spend more time with my family? And when I do, why didn't I do more things that were worthwhile that would live on after me? And if we can get those fixed in our head now, before we get to that final moment, live a much better life. Because that's the way Jesus wants to guide us into knowing him and living for him and his purposes. And Tom, you said some important things in the green room ahead of time, just a bit about uh, fathers spending time with their kids. I think it's fathers and mothers both, but for the sake of this conversation, uh, you you have seen over the years a lot of fathers that are trying to start a career. They have a lot of pressures outside of the home and, and feel a lot of stress around that. And the time just slips away with kids. It does. And by the time I get to see these dads, they're now 55, 60 years old. Their kids are grown. They're married. They're out of the house. And I cannot tell you the number of dads who have said to me, I regret, I regret I didn't spend more time with them. I mean, my kids, I don't know them. And, and they really don't go out of their way for me because they really don't know me. What in the world can I do now? at age 60 that I didn't do when I was age 25 or 30. And so we've had many in-depth conversations about that and try to help pass to men understand that not only do they need to show respect and love toward the kid's mom, you know, as, as an equal heir of the kingdom of God, but they have to treat their kids with real respect too. And that means listening to them, not just telling them, mm-hmm. listening to what they have to say, spending time with them, praying with them and encouraging them to follow whatever the Lord would have them do with their life. And so we do a lot of that. I, I was just thinking about uh, the, uh, what, what, what do you say to a 55-year-old? He can't undo it, no. you know. Mm. And uh, all I can say is uh, start early, uh, be available, um, uh, work on your priorities as, as best you can from the very beginning. And maybe it's for someone out there that is in that, situation, it, it's never too late. Mm-mm. It's, mm-hmm. never, too it's late. never too late. And I always tell the fathers, oh, we're running out of time here. Well, we go ahead. Yeah, finish the thoughts. Thought I we'll tell the away. fathers simply this, go to your kids and repent. Go to them and say, 
I failed the Lord and I failed you because I was so busy with work. Please forgive me. And if we can have a relationship, I'd surely like to have it. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, Tom, uh, I think it's great. Uh, we can always repent and go yeah. backwards, right? Well, yeah. we're getting texts coming in. Love the conversation. Great start here, uh, gentlemen. <laughs> this will step away for a minute. I know there's a lot of questions coming in about the rapture and the book of Revelations. This is Guy Talk this Woo-hoo. afternoon. Peter Kapsner stepping in for Bill Arnold. We've got Jeff Bernoran. We've got Tom Parrish and Mark Center, new voice to the table. Stay with us. More to come in just a minute. Welcome back to Guy Talk here as part of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Bill will be back for the second hour of the show, but he is away for hour one today. And we have the power panel in place of Jeff Redorn. We've got uh, Mark Center and Tom Parrish here. We're taking your questions, theological, biblical, social, uh, relational. Any question you want to send in, we've got a number of them coming in here, gentlemen. And, and you can text in at 877-933-2484. You can also email your questions. I know some people have asked about the email chain that they can send it to because their question might be a little too long to text. And so you can email your question to Rosie, R-O-S-E-Y, Rosie at MyFaithRadio. Dot com. So, Mark, you raised your hand. You want to follow up comment from where we were? Oh, yeah. Uh, not from where we were. I was just texted by my granddaughter who said, I'm listening to you. Your Whoa. granddaughter is listening my, right now. Right now. How delightful. Wow. <laughs> I love that. Well, it, you know, it's a fair question maybe to bring up. We were just talking about parenting, but uh, grandparents seem to have an increasing role for in the life of the family, especially when we're facing a lot of economic kinds of hardships. A lot of parents are needing to have two incomes just to be able to survive in this time of inflation. And so grandparents are stepping in. Any thoughts you have about the importance of grandparenting and and maybe how they can support but not step in and override their children who are, are now parents themselves? I think it's important as a grandparent to certainly be involved, but forget, but get it out of your mind that you're your kid's parents. You know, you're, they're an adult now. They have kids of their own. Treat them like adults. Listen to what they have to say. And I've learned with my three sons and daughter-in-laws that I usually don't offer a lot of counsel until they ask. And when they ask, then I'm willing to do that. With my grandkids, uh, I oftentimes, I'll, if I want to say something really deep to them, I will actually talk to mom and dad ahead of time. Say, I want to let Annabelle know, you know, how I really feel about this or what, what this is. How do you feel about that? That way, I don't create a conflict in the home. And, you know, the problem is the conflicts in the home between the mom and the children or the dad and the children and the grandparents on the outside, it's the grandparent that gets excluded. And I want to be very much involved. I want to be involved as well. And my best Christmas gift was uh, a date with my granddaughter. She Um, gave it to me and we went out to eat. And it seems like something repeated itself. Now, our our younger, our grandson here in Minnesota is only eight, so those days are coming. But uh, looking forward to that. I'm a new grandfather. Um, my oldest has a year and a half year old, and there's already been a couple of times where he said, "Well, Dad, we don't do it like that. You know, we do it a little bit differently." It's like, well, wait a minute here. I've done this three times already. I think I was pretty good at it the first time around. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. It's it's now he's the head of their family. It's their child, and you need to honor that and not step on toes. 
Mm. Well, and I think about the challenges, too, that going back to something we were talking about in the first segment, just about a different world in which we live. And, and I think especially the social questions are really different. Uh, and, and Jeff, I want to go back to something that you said, just in terms of what it means to potentially equip our kids a bit and some of these really hard issues, because it is different. Do you see a role for the church to be able to evolve a little bit? Uh, the church has, has been in a season where it's been about attracting as many people as possible to the weekend services. And, and that has been really good in a lot of ways. I think we've missed on some things, but but comparatively, at least for my young people that I teach week in and week out and the parents that I'm hanging out with, they don't feel like they're terribly equipped to deal with some of these massive changes in sexuality, uh, in government kinds of things, just any social issue you want to name. It, does the church need to evolve a little bit to beyond just the Sunday morning service right now? Well, I think the, some of the evolution has occurred that some of these youth groups have become more entertainment venues, and let's just keep them entertained and busy and whatever. I, in town here, a couple of the largest youth groups actually have, you know, serious Bible studies as part of their curriculum, and I just think that's awesome that we have to get these kids to understand. If, you, if you're going to go out in this world, what your core worldview is, what your core belief of God, of who man is, how God designed him, what's salvation, all the big worldview questions, who am I, where am I going, what's the purpose and meaning of, of life, you have to get these kids into the Word if you're going to equip them. What, look, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, so we may lament the state of the world today, uh, but the world has been fallen for a very long time. There's fallen people, and there are sin, and Um, You know, if you go back into the Old Testament, some of the biblical stories here, yes, we used to be a fairly strong Christian nation with Christian principles and morality and so on, and that is in major league decline in the last few decades. Um, But, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. You have to equip these children, and the only way to equip equip them, I think, is by teaching them the Word of God. Whenever I do a funeral, I have people come up to me afterward and they say, are you really a Lutheran? Because I believe in a personal relationship with Jesus. I believe you have to respond to him. I believe you have to surrender to him. The problem we have is that among evangelicals, whether we're Baptist, Lutherans, Hauge background or whatever, we're content with that too often. And we don't talk about identity and purpose. And the Bible is loaded with what your identity is now that you know Jesus Christ and, and who you represent in this world and what your purpose is. And I have people, adults, continually ask me, what's my purpose? Well, your purpose is what the scriptures say. You're an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're a minister of reconciliation, and that's your major role. You can be the greatest doctor and surgeon in the world. Do the best job you can. That's your pulpit. But your real job is through, even through medicine and even through your skills to be telling people about the power and the reality of Jesus Christ. Youth ministry begins when a, when a Christian adult finds a way to, a comfortable way to enter a student's world. Mm. And then prolongs that as long as they can, as long as the young person sees value in it. Mm -hmm. Now, if they get entertainment, they can get entertainment just about anywhere. Entertainment is a good part of youth ministry. It always has been. But the the, uh, young person has to see something of a religious value, of a Christian value, of a core value. Jesus value right. in that uh, relationship. And so um, youth ministry takes a lot of hits for it being entertainment. Entertainment leads to something. Yep. And that entertainment gives opportunities for things. And it's been my joy to see 
them nurture that relationship over a long period of time. Super helpful, you guys. Uh, we've got about uh, two, three minutes left here before we had to break, change the conversation just briefly. I know some questions were coming in about the rapture. Seems like as the world has been getting a little bit more difficult, uh, apparently, over these past few years. And I think for all three of you, the global pandemic has clearly prompted a series of questions that is this it? Is this the end of the world? And, and that brings up some of these rapture questions. The idea of the rapture is that before the end of the world, somehow the church will be raptured up or brought into the heavenly kingdom before Jesus returns, maybe some seven years later. So just with that as background, Jeff, maybe uh, address this question after the rapture, will those be left behind still have an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ? So take us into this a bit. Uh, absolutely is the short answer. Um, there is, uh, I think everybody has an opportunity to accept Christ up until the moment they die. It's pointed for man once to die and then face judgment. So I think the uh, the ability to accept Christ, even on your deathbed, uh, you will still get that reward, that eternal reward. So I believe that uh, strongly. I think one of the things about the rapture and the times that we're living in uh, goes back to the, what we were just talking about. You know, the first century Christians never said, oh, look at what the world is coming to. They declared who has come to this world. Uh, Paul and the early apostles lived in a land that was occupied by a foreign power, and that leader demanded to be worshipped as God, right? We're not quite that bad yet in this country. So as we decline, sure, but just let's put things in a little perspective. We still have the freedom to meet and to study and to talk about the Lord over the airwaves and so on, that many people, many Christians around the world don't have that luxury. But just one thought. There are some who teach. We don't know when the rapture is going to happen. I'm convinced that the Bible teaches an, uh, the concept of imminency. It can happen at any time. You just need to be ready for it. And right. by being ready, that means to believe in Christ as your Savior. Some teach things will get a lot better going into the rapture. Some think, Some teach that things will get a lot worse going into the rapture. I don't think Scripture says that. It says just as uh, Noah was about to enter the ark, there was eating and drinking and giving in marriage right up until the day Noah entered the ark. I don't know what this world is going to look like up to the time of the rapture, but I know that rapture is coming one day. Parrish, you had some thoughts on this. we got about 30 seconds before we get to head out, but just there are different views about the rapture, oh, right? They're, they're all over the place, and I've been around this for a long time. And what I here's the conclusion I've come to. Most of the teaching on the rapture, uh, and you can find it in in Second uh, Thessalonians talking about the rapture or about being caught up in the air. The word actual rapture doesn't occur in the Bible. It's it's a word we put on it, and there was no real teaching on what we know as the rapture until 1830. Didn't happen. In, there's nothing we can find in church history that talks about that. The point is, Jesus, like Jeff said, is going to come, and we don't know when. The issue is to be ready today. And too often people are not ready today. I even had friends back during the late great planet Earth time say, when I see these things happening, then I'll get serious about Jesus. And I said, you don't have that guarantee. Get ready now. And I love it. The questions are rolling in, fellas. We're going to step away for just a couple of minutes. Again, if you have a question about the Bible or about theology, social issues, anything along those lines, text them in at 877-933-2484. When we come back from break, we'll talk a little bit about divorce and remarriage as well as church division based on the questions coming in. So get ready and stay with us here on Guy Talk Afternoons with Bill Arnold. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arnold, Brad 
Welcome back to Guy Talk. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Bill Arnold, who's away for hour one of the show. We're taking your questions today, as we always do, 877-933-2484. You can text them in. You can also send an email to Rosie, R-O-S-E-Y, at myfaithradio.com. Here's a question, uh, guys. This one is a a tough one, vulnerable one for sure. Uh, Hello, guys. I was married for 16 years as a non-believer and made a mess of it, went through a painful divorce, as a result, I've given my life to the Lord. Is it acceptable to marry again in this time with Christ at the center? Jump in, guys. I've got <laughs> ideas here, but hey, don't be afraid. I think Christ looks for the future. He builds your future. You, you've learned from your past, but you can build your future in Christ, following his uh, example, following his words. And uh, I think it's it's important for the church to have grace towards you. I think the hardest thing for a person to do is to forgive themselves. I think that's why Judas committed suicide. I think Jesus would have forgiven him. Oh, yeah. But he couldn't forgive himself. Brother, forgive yourself. Mm. Move forward. Mm. Well, the thing here that's really tough is that we, we've got to look at Scripture and what it says. You know, when Jesus talked about marriage and divorce and, you know, what Moses did, he was talking to the believers. He wasn't talking to the non-believers at that sense. Well said. And so non-believers come into Christianity. One thing we don't want to impose are a thousand rules on them. You can't do this. You can't do that. Because they need to know Jesus and walk with him and let him bring the conviction in this. Now... If this gentleman remarries, he's not a believer, and he marries a Christian woman, and they get married, then I'm saying, hey, you better do everything you can to work that marriage out. Even when you get in tough times, you just can't run out and get a divorce like before. It doesn't work that way. But the Lord is eminent in forgiving and eminent in changing our lives. The problem is uh, we don't understand that. We're too. It's too easy. You know, it's so easy to become a Pharisee in Christianity to go back to all the rules instead of the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've had couples that have come in under those circumstances and divorced and whatever else. And I've literally said to them, you know, where do you stand with Jesus? What is he saying to you about this? And when you know what Jesus is saying to you about this, then you come and talk to me. And we actually had some of them that did not get married. They came back and said, no, this is not what the Lord wants for us. Others did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of a grace guy on on this issue. There's a couple of instances in scripture where God allows divorce. We got to remember that God doesn't like divorce. In fact, no. it says he hates divorce. That's not his plan when he marries two people. But and, in this and everybody who gets divorced hates, hates divorce. divorce. That's right. Yeah. It's 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 uh, it's brokenness. We live in this broken world and it's just painful. You're absolutely right. I think um I think one of the things and in this particular case it sounds like they were unbelievers and the unbeliever left. So I think even specifically to the words of Scripture, she's free to get married again. And But for, for all, I think the other big admonition in Scripture is do not be unequally yoked. Yes. And what does that mean? That means that if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you should find that life 
person that's going you're going to spend the rest of your life with that they also should love the Lord because what does light have in common with darkness scripture says so find someone who's a believer that first and foremost should be your criteria this coming October 21st my wife and I'll be married 50 years right out of college congratulations thank you without her I would not be doing what I'm doing she the Lord used her Jan as much in my life to direct me and hopefully me to direct her and we really came became that one flesh did we have, make mistakes? You bet you did. We have problems? Yep. Uh, one time she's ready to walk out. And I mean, it got, we had some tension moments. But the ultimate thing was we want to live for Jesus, and we're going to do that through this marriage and for these kids. And we did. And for the young people that may be listening, this is a big deal. You don't want to screw this one up. Mm-mm. And to have a partner that shares with you that Christian journey and you can talk about what Jesus means to you in your life, and that's part of your life. That's so vitally important. And it starts with your first date. Yeah, it's a tricky issue because I know the divorce rate went from what had been a stable 6% divorce rate, divorce rate since about 1900. And in the 1970s and 1980s, because of some things going on within academic institutions and stuff going on in our country, the divorce rate spiked to north of 55%. It was around 58%. So when you see this massive change from 6% to 58%, probably should cause us to ask a lot of questions. And the church, understand, uh, understandably, was caught a bit short by this and didn't know how to deal with it. And I think we're still living in a generation to some extent where people didn't experience maybe some of the grace that you described, Jeff. And it felt like a scarlet letter D on their forehead that was sort of unforgivable on some level. I just got to make one point because I've looked at these statistics that people say that the, the church's statistics on divorce are no different than the world. And, and that's that's actually not the case. If you are two strong believers in the Lord and, and you, you worship, you go to church regularly, you pray together and, and you've got a God-centered home, the, your divorce rate is, is a fraction of the world's divorce rate. So It's one out of every 1,500. I got that from Barna. <laughs> For strong Christians, and maybe something goes haywire, out of every 1,500 strong Christian couples out there, there's only one divorce out of those 1,500. Wow. And that usually has a lot more extenuating circumstances than just they couldn't get along. I'd be curious your comments. As with a young friend of mine maybe a couple of years ago, it was the, the day that his divorce became final, according to the state of Minnesota, where he filed. This is, this is where we lived at the time. And he said something haunting to me in those moments. He said, you know, the divorce has been filed, but somehow it doesn't feel final. Right. And and we've wondered about that a little bit. And, and Tom, I know you were talking earlier today, just again in the green room, about the idea that the, the marriage relationship is a one flesh covenant that God brings together. And so even when I officiate weddings, I will say, of course, by the power invested in me in the state of Minnesota, but more importantly, on this day as an ambassador of the kingdom of God, because I believe it's God that's doing the work between the two people. If there's going to be a divorce, is there an invitation uh, in that redemption repentance process to move beyond just filing with the state. You've got to do some work of the heart. You need to do some work of asking God to unwind this because the state at the end of the day, it seems to me, didn't bring the two people together. You get a tax benefit. That's great. But it's not the state that brought the people together. So if we're trying to do divorce only within the context of the state, asking who gets what, maybe we're missing something key in any of this. Exactly. And here's the sad part. When I run into couples that have gone through divorce, they're broken. And I mean, they stay broken, too, to some degree. That's why I also, when I work with youth, one of the things I, I become much more, I tell the parents ahead of time what I'm going to talk about. I get really serious about, especially teenagers. You're going to be dating. It's going to be real tempting. Sex is going to be real tempting. 
the moment you start consummating a relationship with sex and having, you know, going all the way with that, you've created a dilemma for yourself because I cannot tell you guys how many people have committed to me and said, I love my wife, I love my husband, married many years, but my first girlfriend, we were sexually active, and I still, 50 years later, can't get her out of my mind. I still miss that to a point where it's driving me crazy. I've heard the same thing from women. And I'm saying, the Lord has a point. He knows what happens. And then it's more than our society loves sex. It's not just the sexual union. It's the becoming one flesh under the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we don't do that and understand that, we pay a huge, huge price. All right. Well, this is a good conversation. And then I think a lot of people are still trying to, to work through this. I'm just the relational dynamics of that. We've got a scriptural question coming in, something from Proverbs 21 about God hearing our prayers. Uh, I have a question about some scripture that talks about this. Are the are the are those verses about God hearing our prayers more about not receiving his blessings rather than him not literally hearing our, our prayers? So I think the question is along the lines of, what do we do when maybe we feel like we're missing out on God's blessings? This is Proverbs 21 13, how does God hear our prayers? What is it like to, to be in prayer, and is God listening? Well, let's start out with one simple truth of God, and that is he knows everything. If he knows the number of hairs on your head, if he knows when a sparrow falls from the sky, if he knows your thoughts before you even have them, if he knows your prayers before you even speak them to him, then he knows. So any prayer to God uh, is going to be heard by an omniscient, uh, omnipresent God. So uh, he's going to hear you. Now, can you feel distant from God? Can you feel, a, a, you know, further away from God at some times and closer to God from others where it's like, you know, boy, why does God not hear me? Uh, that is the lament that we see in Scripture actually often. Uh, David in, in, in the psalm says, you know, why have you forsaken me? Do Do we really think that God forsook David and wasn't listening to to you, but I think God can feel far from you. And I, I, I think when that happens, the, the only thing that you can do, God says, if you seek me, you will find me, if you seek me with all of your heart, right? I think if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. I think that's first and foremost for salvation, but even once you're saved, if you feel far from God, well, then commit yourself Put a little discipline in your life to spend some time with him every day and see where your relation is, you know, 21 days from now. I take your statement a step further. Not only is it possible that you will feel distance from God, you're going to. And there are going to be many times that you feel that way. Um, That doesn't mean that we stop praying. There's all kinds of prayers. There's the lament But there's also the precatory uh, precatory prayer where you say, would you clobber that guy? That's the way I feel you ought to do it. If if I were God, this is the way I would handle it. And it would, you know, we're going to nail that sucker. But uh, in reality, that is a prayer. That is venting to God. And that's what God is calling on us to do. Uh, I have a friend that uh, for years we have... uh, prayed together. He's a very fine businessman, world class. And uh, we spent a lot of time praying together, but a lot of times just saying, no, just talk to God. You don't need to talk to me. Hmm. But We get this thing about praying well. There's no bad prayer. Amen. Proverbs 21, 13, right? Mm-hmm. Listen to what it says. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor 
will himself call out and not be answered. It's a conditional statement. The Lord is saying here, you want your prayers answered. I want to answer them. But don't ignore what I'm telling you to do. You know, don't go out and say, I can do anything I want as a believer, and I can ignore all the Lord's commands about forgiving others. But I know when I pray, he'll hear me. And when he doesn't, I'm really going to be angry about that. No, there are conditions. I was I taught the Lord's Prayer a couple of weeks ago, and we were really good at reading in Matthew 6 about the Lord's Prayer. But verses 14 and 15 blow people away, and it's not in the prayer, but it says there, Jesus says, you know, if you continue to forgive others, your Heavenly Father will continue to give, forgive you. If you do not forgive others, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. Think about that for a minute. We Most churches that pray the Lord's Prayer never add those two verses, and yet there is a condition. And we've got to get it in our head. We have to look at all of what the Scripture says, not just the parts we like. Great stuff in prayer. We've got some follow-ups on this. Let's step away for just a minute. Again, if you're listening here today, you want to text in a question, you can do so at 877-933-2484. Gentlemen, when we come back in just a minute, I'm going to ask you a bit about the importance of sensing God's presence in prayer and why we long for that. If we have a relational faith with God, what is the role of sensing God's presence and his absence? So stay with us. This is Guy Talk, Peter Kapsner, filling in for Bill Arnold. Welcome back to Guy Talk. The questions are pouring in here, fellas. We've got Tom Parrish. We've got Jeff Verdorn. We've got Mark Center, new voice to the conversation. Mark, it's going pretty quick today, isn't it? It's going. It's going well. Thank you. It's going real well. We were talking about prayer before the break, and I think a lot of people really understandably desire to sense God's presence in prayer. And, And while we don't go to prayer looking for only that, there is something about sensing God's presence, at least from time to time in our lives. I'd love for you guys to comment on the role of that, some experiences maybe you've had along the way. Well, let me start off. I think the hardest part of my Christian walk is prayer. It always has been. I prayed for years that my mother would be healed. She never was. Yeah. When my dad called telling me of her death, dad said, mom's well. She's mm-hmm. with the Lord, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, you, you don't get good at prayer. You just pray. And I find myself uh, enjoying prayer the older I get. Hmm. Yeah, I, I do a lot of praying in the cars and I, when I'm driving, and I've learned not to close my eyes anymore. But <laughs> no, I've, I've done a lot of praying. But the bottom line is this. I just was teaching on uh, how do we discern the Lord's mind in prayer as a body, a body of believers. And then everybody says, we should pray about this. But we never have a plan. We never have a process. We never had a target we know when the Lord's spoken. So what I tell people is this, if you want to do that, there are 14 passages that I just read the other day that very much Jesus keeps saying over and over about praying together, not just praying individually. It's great to pray individually, but I can deceive myself. It's another matter when I have to sit and pray with you, Peter or Jeff or Mark and, and Rosie, and we sit and we really pray before the Lord and listen and spend time doing that. There is power there. And I know when I was overseas in Bangladesh and elsewhere, those Christians would come together and they would pray for hours and hours and hours about a topic or whatever. And I mean, think about it. When's the last time you had a, a prayer meeting at your church that lasted 24 hours? 
And it wasn't just people coming and going for an hour. It was the same people for 24 hours. They're all seeking the Lord's mind. And when it ended, like in Bangladesh, those people had the Lord's mind and knew what to do and did it. Simultaneous prayer is an amazing thing. I saw this in Korea where the whole congregation, 2,000 people perhaps, were praying aloud simultaneously. And uh, it, it, was, it was just a cacophony of God's presence with wow. them. And uh, then suddenly somebody said something, and they all stopped at once. Yeah. They had a sense together of what we do. Now, praying together doesn't have to be in the same room. No. If I would a covenant with you to pray for something, we do it individually. Mm-hmm. And the point is, do it. Right. Mm. Yeah, 24-hour prayer. That's Paul says to the Thessalonians, pray continually, right? Yeah, that's, that's truly is praying continually all day long. Pray, you know, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And I often think, what, what does it really mean to pray continually? And I think it's, it's the same kind of concept as the righteous shall live by faith. If you are throughout your day communing with God in wherever you're at, um, I think that's getting closer to the idea of praying continually, uh, just giving things up to God where, during your day. Don't even the little things. I, we, my problem is, is I think a lot of Christians pray about the big things pretty regularly, sure. but we don't bring the little things to God. And I think that line, praying continually, is is even in the little things God wants you to bring them to Him. Let me add one other thing about prayer. A lot of times I pray, and it's just sort of mishmash. <laughs> I find that writing down my prayers, mm-hmm. yeah, just on my iPad, forces me to think about what I'm really asking God. Sometimes I post them. Most of the time I don't because it's just a, it's a discipline of trying to say to God to know what I really want to say to God. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I was going through McDonald's and I always get my Diet Coke and I can't eat anything else. It's way too fattening, but I get my Diet Coke. <laughs> And there was a, a woman there, and she looked kind of beleaguered. And for one reason or another, I don't know why, the Lord moved. And he simply says, well, you really look tired, you know. And, and why don't you give me your first name, and I'll pray for you. She looked at me, and she said, my name is Sue. Yeah, I've got some hard things going on. So I drove away. Later that day, I'm doing something. And it's like the Lord spoke to me. He said, I thought you were going to pray for Sue. I said, oh, yeah. So I started praying for her. And for the next week, every time I go through there, Sue made sure she was at the counter when she saw me pull in. And she'd come up and she goes, you know, those prayers are being answered. I said, wonderful. You know, we should talk about it sometime. The last time I saw her, and I think she, I don't know what happened to her. She was an older lady. She, she came up there and she said, I, I said, well, I will pray about that. She said, how about right now? So through the drive through window and in the car, we prayed together. And I noticed other McDonald's people were gathering around to pray as well. There is a That's power awesome. there that we don't understand and too often we miss it. Yeah. My brother, my, my cousin does something I have never seen before. We're in a golf league. Wherever we go to play golf, he, no matter who he's with, he just says, um, can we pray before we play golf? Nice. And, man, he, he has a wonderful prayer. Nobody turns him down. And uh, I, it was, it's just been amazing to me to be part of his prayer life in that manner.
My mm-hmm. sons pray for me when we play golf. They, yeah. they pray for me find the ball. Where'd that ball go? <laughs> my, good, my good friend Dave, he's a pastor, and he, he witnesses to people more than anybody that I know on the face of this earth. And it's, it's, he's just amazing. But he has a little trick that we could all do and do more than even what I, I do in my own personal life. And that is when you're sitting at a restaurant and your waiter or waitress comes up to him, a simple thing to ask is, hey, we're going to pray for our meal today. Is there anything we can pray for you yes. about? Yes. And you will be amazed at the responses. Oh, yeah. I've had people just break down in tears because they are burdened with something that they want you to pray for. So a simple little thing that you can try. You're exactly right. I can testify to that. It's real. It happens. We don't invite enough people to pray. We don't. Hey, guys, I'm enjoying your show today. Just the thought about praying continually every day. If we use an easy three-word prayer to acknowledge God's gifts when we notice them, we will be praying all day long. Here's the prayer. Thank you, Father. Mm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Good uh, place. Yeah, have, have your mind towards turn towards the heavens. You know, right? one of my favorite verses is I, I call it my don't worry, be happy verse. It's from Philippians 4. God says, do not worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving— Bring your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you are missing that peace today, bring your requests to God. My favorite prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Mm. I pray that I don't know how many times daily. And when you love Jesus, he moves despite us sometimes. I love Acts 19 where Peter's in prison, and the congregation comes together to pray, and Peter gets out of prison, the angel lets him out, and he comes to the door, <laughs> and Rhoda won't let him in. And she screams, she runs back in, it's Peter at the door, and they go, you're crazy, we're praying for Peter, you know, leave him alone. Well, finally, they get the message, it's actually Peter. How often do we pray that way? We, the emotion isn't there, the thought isn't there, the desire isn't there like it should be, but I have seen the Lord still move in that, and I think the key is, is that as Christians we say, whether I have the emotion or not, Jesus is still faithful to do what he's going to do. Well, we've uh, just got a couple of minutes left here. The questions really are pouring in. And uh, if you've texted in, appreciate those questions. I know we keep them in the question bank. Uh, Bill has a, a catalog of them. We'll try to get to them in future weeks. But let's stay for our last couple of minutes in this prayer conversation is thinking about some things related to vulnerability in prayer, especially when you're praying with somebody else. Uh, do you guys have any suggestions for how you can move past sort of maybe the rote Christian language when we pray out loud with other people? Because it, it does feel uncomfortable, I think, for a lot of people to pray out loud with friends or with family. Uh, how do we move from just, hey, these are the things that we tend to say in prayer just so that maybe we're socially acceptable as we're praying and into actual vulnerability with other believers in our prayer life? Is this uh, one of those multiple choice questions? Or <laughs> well, you know, you can't choose on none of the above, Jeff. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a big... What, let me try to simplify this. I think people get intimidated because it's prayer. Yeah. And if you think of it as just talking with God, sure. like you talk to your friend, I think people might see it a little different. I've led a lot of prayer groups. I've been blessed. And we will come together for an hour a day and pray. A group of us, we've done that for years. And I, I try to train people in prayer. What I discovered is this, as the leader, I've got to be the most vulnerable in prayer. So if we're praying through, there's like a 12-step prayer wheel that we use sometimes. It starts with praise and goes with thanksgiving and goes all the way around. Each one of those, initially, I start and I say, you know, especially when it comes to repentance. Okay, Jesus, you know, I didn't treat Jan right the other day. I yelled at her. I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. Help me to be the husband I'm supposed to be. 
You know, I mean, I'm a pastor, Lord. I should have actually looked the part. And I got people in prayer kind of laughing. But then all of a sudden you start getting these people starting to confess where they're never going to confess out loud on their own. The leader has to start that process and open the door and say, I'll be vulnerable. You can be vulnerable. We're going to be okay. Being vulnerable is so essential to prayer. Hmm. Um, and I, I I have to be aware that my vulnerability is also my wife's vulnerability. Oh, yeah. And so there's a, there's a certain limit to the way I want to be vulnerable, sure. not because I don't want to be, but it, it's because it's an us thing in there. So actually, she's better at praying than I am, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I love to have her pray. I love it. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of prayer requests among the Faith Radio family. Uh, maybe, Tom Parrish, in just about 45 seconds or less, would you mind just wrapping us up in prayer and praying for our whole family here? Sounds good. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given us the right to pray to you. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. We didn't even go looking for it, but you came looking for us. Now, Lord, show us how to unite in prayer, both individually and as a group, how to bring our real needs before you and how to depend upon you to give us answers and direction. Watch over our families, our children, grandchildren, people of our church, the people of our neighborhood, that they will know your great love and your great power. And Lord, as Jeff had talked about, open the door for us so that we can pray even at the restaurant with our waiter if you provide that opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Gentlemen, great stuff as always. Jeff, Mark, Tom, thanks for the wisdom. For all of you that are part of our Faith Radio family, we appreciate the questions. Coming in like this, Bill will be back in the captain's chair in hour two uh, with a couple of really good conversations, including a conversation with Chris Brown about how to turn painful situations into the kind of situations that will demonstrate God's glory. So good to be with you all. We'll catch you next week here on Guy Talk again. This is Peter Kapsner filling in for Bill Arnold. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.